Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Exodus chapter 12. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy written word. We yield ourselves to the ministry of your Spirit, that we may be taught of thee, that we may be doers of your word and not hearers only. Our ears are attentive, our hearts are receptive, our minds are open. I thank you for causing my lips and tongue to be as the pen of a ready writer to boldly proclaim the truth of the word and the power of the Spirit, that our faith would rest not in the wisdom of men, or human philosophy, but in the power of the living God and resurrected Christ. Thank you for all that's accomplished now through your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 12, if you read beginning at verse 1 right on through verse 14, you have understanding of the Passover feast that was instituted by the Lord. In verse 14, you'll notice, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. The Passover, of course, being instituted by God, was a feast to commemorate Israel's deliverance from bondage. The exodus from Egypt was considered to be the birth of a new nation, a new people, God's very own creation, a new nation, a redeemed people of course, that would serve him and do his will. The Passover then was their annual birthday celebration. Their annual birthday celebration. So they celebrated the fact that they were delivered by the powerful hand of God and they were raised up from the condition of bondmen to free people. A free people. They were under the tyranny, of course, of a foreign government, and now God delivered them by His mighty power. They were raised up to a place of being free, and of course, they owed their allegiance only to God, Jehovah, Almighty Himself. And so every year they would celebrate more or less a type of birthday celebration, the birth of a brand new nation. And if you read right on through verses 1 and right on to 14, you'll find out the order of it. But before looking into that, let me state that not only was this celebration of the Passover commemorative, it reminded them of God delivering them by His mighty power, but it was also typical. It was a shadow of things to come, better things. In other words, it was showing forth that God was going to do a great work in redeeming all mankind by a better sacrifice, which we know to be the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was a, a type of a greater salvation being foretold. You will notice, beginning at verse 1, the order of the first celebration. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speaking unto all the children of the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take unto them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for every house. And if a household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from among the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door posts of the house, houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain till morning, and that which remaineth of it... The the morning you shall burn with fire, and thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment 
I am the Lord. And the blood shall be for you a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So on the tenth of the month, the first month being Nisan, of course, what they were to do is to select a lamb and inspect it for three days. Of course, one lamb per family, which symbolized what? That salvation was a personal thing. That if they were going to be delivered, even though they were a Jew, if they were going to be delivered, they had to do exactly what God said to do. It was His plan of salvation. He was outlining the way. It was not man's effort. It was God's effort. So they had to do what He said to do. So on the 10th of Nisan, which of course is the, the first day, or, or the, the month that would correspond to our April, which of course we celebrate Easter, Easter at that time, they were to, each one, pick out a lamb without spot, without blemish, and for three days, the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th, they were to inspect that lamb, make sure it was without spot and without blemish. Then, of course, they were to get a, a knife, and they were to cut its throat, and, and catch the blood in the basin, and then get a hyssop branch, and dip it inside the blood, and, and apply the blood to the side posts of their house, and the and to lintels of their house, and, and see that they were covered totally by the blood. They were told not to eat the flesh of the lamb, Raw or, or boiled in oil or, or boiled or anything like that in water. They were to eat it after it was roasted or barbecued, however you want to say it. And of course, they were to apply that, eating of the lamb and apply application of the blood. And if they would do that, then of course, when the agent of death would pass over, they would see that the blood was applied and therefore they were delivered and they were set free from the death of the firstborn. And those who did not apply the blood and, of course, the lamb, then they were not delivered. They were not set free. And the firstborn in that family would die, whether or not they were part of the, you know, the Egyptian nation or even of the Israeli nation. They would die. They had to apply the blood, just as God said. Well, that symbolized the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The wages of sin is death. No matter who you are in the world, the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood and its application, there is no remission of sin. The gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. They had to apply it, of course, for each individual family. And if they did not do that, then death, of course, would visit their household. Now, you have to imagine that by faith they had to do this. At the word of Moses, by faith they had to find the lamb without spot, without blemish, inspect it. They had to kill the lamb. They had to apply it. They had to eat it. They had to do all that God said. Then, of course, they had to have the lamb in them, the blood over them. And then, of course, we know that the glory cloud was also there to protect them and to cover them and to lead them as they made their departures. They had to be dressed and ready to go because God was going to deliver them. And they had to make an exodus or an exit out of Egypt, leave all that behind and, and just, you know, be led by the Spirit of God into a land that God would lead them, of course, that flows with milk and honey. Well, can you imagine about a quarter of a million lambs roasting over there in Egypt? Can you imagine the sight of that and the smell of that? It wasn't something that was being done in secret. It was something that was being noticed. I mean, they saw what was happening. I'm sure they were wondering, what is going on? All these lambs roasting all at one time, what is going on? Well, turn with me, if you would, please, to Psalms 105. And before we get into that, let's take a look at Psalms 105, and let's begin at verse 36. God was about to do a mighty work. That's what was happening. God was about to manifest Himself in a powerful way and deliver His people and, of course, create or establish this nation, the nation of Israel, so they could serve Him and do His will. In Psalms 105, beginning at verse 36, He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give them light in the night. 
The people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and the waters gushed out. They ran in dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy promise to Abraham, his servant. He brought forth his people with joy and his children with gladness. He gave them the lands of the heathen, and they inherited the labor of the people. They might observe their statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. If you recall... The first 11 chapters of the book of Exodus refer to Israel being in bondage in Egypt. You'll recall that God was stern in saying, let my people go. I want them to serve me and I want them to do my will. You'll also recall that Pharaoh had no regard for what Moses was saying and as far as he was concerned, he was going to keep them in bondage. He didn't want them to be let go at that time or be delivered and set free. So Israel, of course, being in bondage there, began to cry out unto the Lord because of the persecution and because of their slavery. And as they began to cry out unto the Lord, the Bible says that the Lord remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, now that God's people were crying out for His mercy, God responded according to the covenant that He had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and sent a man named Moses to deliver God's people out of that bondage and that tyranny. Egypt, of course, is a type of a sin-ruled world under the tyranny of Satan and his cohorts. That's what it was a type of. And they were in that fearful bondage, and they didn't know what to do. And so they called upon the name of the Lord their God. And even though they did, and God wanted to make it easy for Pharaoh and all of Egypt, they would not respond. They had no regard for the word of the Lord. They had no regard, regard for the servant um, of God, Moses, at that time. And they just put up a, a solid front against him and said, we're not going to let you go. And so one at a time, plagues began to fall upon the Egyptians. And one at a time, each god of the Egyptians, of course, was dethroned, so to speak, and shown to be not greater than the Almighty God, who was the God of the Israelites. And by this time, this last plague was about to befall them, they still stood, a, stood strong against the fact that God wanted these people to be set free and stood firm in resisting what God's will was, and so God had no recourse. And he says, this is exactly what I want you to do. And therefore, he instructed Moses, and Moses did exactly what God told them to do, and they applied the blood, they, they ate the lamb. As I said, all the, the lambs were barbecuing and roasting over there on the fire, and, and something now is about to take place. God is going to move in full strength. He is going to show that he is a greater God than all the gods of the Egyptians, and no matter how powerful they think they are, they're not more powerful than he is. And that he was going to show by the death of the firstborn that all the gods of the Egyptians, all the powers of the gods of the Egyptians come to not, not, they're brought down to nothing and they have no power over the Almighty God. And so this event occurs, it takes place as they celebrate what is called the first Passover celebration. And God begins to move in great demonstration of His mighty power. They have the Lamb in them, they have the blood over them, and they have themselves dressed and ready for travel. Because once God begins to move, beloved, once this, this feast is already you know, partaken of, God is going to move in a glorious and powerful way. And they are making an exit out of Egypt. They're not returning, they're not coming back. And that's exactly what they did. They did what God said do. And when God delivered them, notice again, in verse 36, He smote also the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribe. Sin will always want to keep us in bondage. Satan will always want to make us slaves and keep us servants of his. But, beloved, God was showing there's a greater force than sin. And it's called righteousness through Jesus Christ. And so God moved in a glorious and powerful way. And what happened to the people? Even though they may have been feeble and sickly, there were elderly people among them and whatever, even though they figured, how are we going to live? How are we going to support ourselves? What are we going to do? It did not matter. God brought them forth with a mighty hand. Every single one that partook of the Lamb and applied the blood, they received supernaturally strength. Their bodies were restored to health, vitality, and strength and wholeness once again. They had their feet shod. They had themselves dressed and prepared. And they were making an 
delicate. There was not one feeble person among their tribe. He brought them forth also with silver and gold. They were delivered then from a threefold curse. Spiritual death, number one. Number two, sickness and disease. And number three, poverty. Redeemed from the curse, poverty, sickness, and death. God delivered them with a mighty hand in a powerful way. And of course, he said, now every year you celebrate this Passover in remembrance of the fact that I delivered you by a mighty hand. I brought you forth and look what I did for you. Can you imagine the miracle that took place that night when they made their exit out of Egypt? A mighty miracle, a mighty working of God's power. We're talking about nearly three million people. And every one of them being restored to health and strength and vitality. And of course, God provided riches untold for them. They went forth with wealth. I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 8. I said all that just to give us somewhat of a, some background material concerning or regarding the Passover so that we could better understand what it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every single year, the Israelites celebrated the Passover, and they just, just didn't get together for a solemn event. I mean, they had a feast. They had a feast. There was rejoicing. There was singing. They were singing songs. The great Hallel, the Egyptian Hallel, which spoke of their deliverance out of Egyptian bondage. They had the supper that they partook of. They had the wine. They had the bread, the unleavened bread. They had the bitter herbs and all this. They just reenacted what took place back there in Exodus. And then when their children asked them, they just went back to Exodus chapter 2 of there that we have. And they just began to tell their children, this is why we are doing this. God delivered us from, this, from Egyptian bondage and the tyranny of this, uh, this foreign government. And He made us whole. He caused us to be a whole nation so that we can serve Him and so that He can bless us with untold riches and untold blessings. They told that to their children. Then they sang these psalms and these, these hymns. And they just had a time of rejoicing. I mean, proclaiming the goodness of God, offering thanks to God. It was an actual feast. It was a celebration. But, beloved, it was only a type. Only a type. And in modern days, it deteriorated into a money-making scheme. I mean, the priests that were involved in, in making sure that these lambs, you know, breeding lambs and all that, they made themselves a whole lot of money realizing that the people had to have a lamb in order to offer sacrifice unto God. And so they would go into the business of breeding these sheep, and of course they would just use it for a money-making scheme. They would see to it that, that they had corn in the market on all that, and they sold it, of course, for an exorbitant price. I mean, something like we're paying for gas today. You know what I'm talking about? If you need it, you've got to buy it, right? Who cares what it costs? You have to buy it if you're going to get anywhere. And so they knew they had them coming and going, and they put a large price on this, an amount that they would have to pay because they had to have it if they wanted their deliverance. And so if they wanted to participate in that celebration, they would have to pay the price. That's exactly the mind of man. That's exactly what he did because he was concerned about himself. That's what they did. It was a money-making thing. Well, I said all that to, say, to, to lead us to this. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. All that was a type that explains somewhat to us about the Lord's Supper and how the Lord's Supper, which is called the Last Supper, was also the last Passover Supper as far as God was concerned, the last celebration of that feast day because it was going to be fulfilled. God, Jesus was going to give significance to all that took place there in Exodus that we just read by the sacrifice of Himself of His own life. We call this the covenant meal. The Covenant Supper, the, the Lord's Supper, the New Covenant Supper, however you want to say it, is fine with me. It is the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted it, but it's also a feast. It's a celebration of something that we should be aware of. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to you, to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now notice this. The first announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ being born in the earth comes to shepherds watching over their flock by night. What were they doing? They were watching the sheep that were being bred for what? For slaughter, those that were going to be killed and offered up as a sacrifice. That's what they were out there doing. They were watching those sheep, the lambs that were being prepared, so that one day on the day of the Passover, the feast of the Passover, they were going to be killed and slain, the blood was going to be applied and all that, roasted and all that. 
so they could celebrate the Feast of the Passover. And there they were, the shepherds out there watching the flock by night. And the angel Lord appears and says to them, Behold, the Savior's been born. There's significance to it. All those lambs out there going to be slain. And they make a, he makes an announcement that, look, the Savior has been born. Then you hear nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ in His ministry for, for 30 years about His life. Very little is said about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 years. And each year that goes by, they're celebrating the Feast of the Passover until one day. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 29. One day... John the Baptist makes an announcement. The next day, John, in verse 29, see Jesus coming unto him after Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. Now listen, he's being baptized, he's about to be baptized in the river Jordan. The next day, John, see Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Way back in Exodus, God told them, Provide a lamb, one for every family, a personal deliverance, a personal salvation. And so they had to see to it that year after year as a memorial, they celebrated the Passover feast by killing a lamb and, and roasting it and doing all that they had to do. God said and set forth as He ordained so that they would be, of course, faithful and reminded of the fact that God did a mighty work for them. And all of a sudden, the angel appears and talks to the shepherds, and he says, Look, the Lamb, or the Savior of the world, has been born. And they're right there watching all those sheep that are being bred for that one purpose of being sacrificed and roasted and all that for the feast of the Passover. And all of a sudden, for 30 years we hear nothing, but then all of a sudden, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, God's chosen Lamb who will take away the sin of the world. Now, notice a parallel here. And turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. For three days, those lambs had to undergo careful scrutiny. They had to be inspected. They had to be spotless, without flaw, without blemish, in order to be a proper sacrifice. If they had any flaws, any spots, any blemishes, they were not worthy to be used as a sacrificial lamb. And that's why they had to see to it that they... You know, we're constantly breeding these lambs to have perfect lambs for this perfect sacrifice. Well, for 30 years we hear nothing about the Lord Jesus, but all of a sudden, once He is proclaimed to be the Lamb of God for three years, He is undergoing careful and public scrutiny. They are scrutinizing His life, asking Him all kinds of questions, listening to His claims for three solid years. He enters his public ministry. He has to face the scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, and all the people, making all the claims that he's making, saying all the things that he's going to do, all the statements that he made to his disciples and all that. The Lamb now undergoes careful scrutiny for three years of his life. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, beginning at verse 33... You remember the story right at the end when Jesus was about to make his entry into Jerusalem. He tells them to go and they find a colt tied and here's what he says. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they, colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, now, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, you recall all the mighty works that even the Egyptians had seen and the people of God had seen by the mighty hand of God when he tried to get them to be delivered and set free from, from the Egyptian bondage. But they still would not respond. We see Jesus for three years doing all kinds of miraculous works, miracles, signs, and wonders, and people are coming to Him. People are now rejoicing over Him. 
But still there were those that, that did not want to let go. They didn't want to let go of their Judaism. They didn't want to let go of their beliefs. They didn't want to let go of, of, of anything and everything that they stood for. They didn't believe this man. Many of them did not. Now, Jesus at this time is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But listen, here, here's the parallel. As he's doing this, this is right around the 10th of Nisan. Right on that, at that same time, Jesus is on a colt making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Do you know what's happening right at that time? The priests are opening up the sheep gates. And all the sheep are entering in for the purpose of being scrutinized. For the purpose of being inspected. To see to it that they have no flaws, no spots, and no blemishes so they can be sacrificed and used, of course, during the Passover feast. Jesus, of course, is making his triumphal entry, but no one really sees the parallel. They don't really know what's happening. And the people begin to cry out and praise God. Of course, those that cried out and praised him at this time, we know, a few days later were those crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And in verse 48, saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto, unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. He said, he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in, on every side, and shall lay thee e even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. He went on into the temple and began to cast them out, that they were in the bought and sold and all that, so that he made his father's house a, a den of thieves rather than a house of prayer. But look, notice the significance. Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and all these lambs are being inspected. They are entering the sheep gate to be inspected to be used for the Passover feast. Jesus is making his triumphal entry, and you know, much time is given to the last three days of the Lord Jesus' life. A lot that we read about here in the Gospel, we think has taken place over a period of time. It's only the last three, four, five days. And if you think about the 10th of Nisan, the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, and then the 14th was the day when the sacrifice was to be killed. Jesus is making his entry, and right now he says that he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He knew what he had to do. The last lamb that was about to be offered, he entered in. He makes his way into the temple. He throws them out of the temple, and he, he makes a public statement that this is the house of prayer, and he begins to overthrow the money changers and tables and all that. He begins to wreak havoc right there with them, telling them this is, you know, what they've done is, is irreverent, disrespectful, and all of a sudden now he has a battle on his hands. Now they're out to get him. Now he is under for three days careful scrutiny with the, the Jews, the, the, the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes and other leaders, and they're asking, I mean, asking him questions, trying to trap him in his words to find any fault in him whatsoever, a blemish in him whatsoever to find any way that they can possibly accuse him and put him to death. And during those three days, what's happening to those lambs that were bred? They're the same thing. They're being scrutinized. They're being inspected to find any flaws, any faults, any blemishes. And you know, just to get a little bit ahead of it, what did Pilate say about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? What did he say? After careful scrutiny inspection, he said, I find no fault, no flaw, no blemish in him. None whatsoever. See, this is happening in reality, and the, you know, the priests are in their darkness, you know, they're sharpening the knives, they're ready to kill the lamb and take the blood, and they're doing all that in the natural. You see, that's where religion comes in, beloved, those that don't make the transition. That's where we get so much religion today in the world, because people are still living under that law and Levitical priesthood. But you see, that ended. The Jews didn't see it. While they were doing all that the Lamb of God was being inspected. While they were doing all that, the Lamb of God was being scrutinized. See, they were doing that, the type, when the antitype was right there before them and they didn't even see him. They didn't even know it was the time of his visitation. He was right there among his own. They rejected him. They didn't even know he was Jehovah manifest in the flesh. They didn't even know that. But anyhow, he was inspected. And as he was inspected, he was found to be without fault and without blemish. Of course, they had to come up with some kind of false accusation against him to, you know, to put him to death. But he was without fault, without blemish. And, beloved, the Bible says that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus as a lamb without fault 
without blemish, with no flaws, no character flaws, no human imperfections whatsoever. He was the Lamb of God. See, for that Lamb to be used, it had to be flawless. And the Lord Jesus Christ was flawless. The parallel is still running. That's found in 1 Peter 1.18. Now, turn me, if you would, please, to, to Matthew 26, and we'll read verses 26 through 28. In verse 26 of Matthew, Jesus now celebrates with His disciples the last Passover and institutes what is called, what we know to be, the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 26, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, now remember, they are doing what every Jew was doing at that time of the year. It was during the time right then of the Passover that this was happening. Jesus prepared His disciples to have with Him the last Passover supper. Celebration, if you will. It was a feast day. It was a celebration. They would have supper. They would drink wine. They would have the, the, the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. They would drink more wine. They would have the roasted lamb come in. They would drink more wine. They would celebrate with the singing of the Psalms. Psalms 114, 15 right in there, 116 through 118. The, the Egyptian Hallel, the great Hallel. And it sang about their mighty deliverance. And, and that's when they left that place, it says they sang in hymn. That's what they were doing. They were just doing what God said to do. They were celebrating. It was a memorial. It was the birth of a nation. They were celebrating the exodus. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. But God had delivered them. They were celebrating it. It was a, a birthday type thing. Celebration. And they did exactly what God said to do. Now they're rejoicing and praising God. That's what was happening at that time. Not just a solemn thing, but a time of jubilation. A time of rejoicing. A time of thanksgiving. Giving glory to God. Thank you. We were in a house of slavery. We were bond men. We were, we were under the tyranny of this foreign government, but you delivered us. You set us free. You gave us health and wealth and riches. You gave us a, a nation. We're a nation. You gave us identity. You gave us a name. And they were glorifying God. Read those Psalms. You'll find out they talked about His mercy, talked about His grace, talked about His loving kindness, talked about His mighty hand to deliver. It just it was a glorious celebration of what God had done for them. But right now, beloved, listen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and praising God, He gave thanks and asked Him to bless it to their use. When He had broken it, He gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is My body. Now remember this. During this time, the rabbi would have over his robe a triple-pocketed, it would triple-pocketed, slung over his robe with three pockets, and each pocket would contain a piece of bread and when asked what they symbolized, he, he said, one for Abraham, one for Isaac, and one for Jacob. And when asked why was it that they broke the middle one, didn't understand the significance of it, because they did not know that it was not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And so when the rabbi reached in and pulled out the piece of bread that was in the center pocket, and broke it, it was symbolic of the fact that the son's life was going to be broken. The body that was broken. Jesus knew that. They didn't understand the significance of it. There was a lot that was done by type and shadow that they could not foresee. They didn't understand that. They didn't even know that, that the, the time of his visitation was right there. They didn't even know who he was. And so that took place. So what does Jesus do? He reaches in and pulls out saying, This is my body. He has come to fulfill that which at that time was only a type and a shadow. So as they were eating, Jesus took bread and praising God, He gave thanks. And He said, after He had broken it, He gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is My body, the body of the Messiah, the body of the Savior of the world, the one that should come, the Messiah. And so He broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Here, eat. This is my body that's broken for you. He also took the cup. And during that time of celebration, once again, there was another cup. A cup that was set aside for the Messiah that was inverted. They had cups filled with wine, and one was set aside just for the purpose of the Messiah. Of course, they rec did not recognize the fact that he had come yet. And so, Jesus takes that cup, the inverted cup, has it filled with wine, and says, This cup, the one set aside for the Messiah, is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. Look at verse 27. 
He took the cup, one he had given thanks, he gave it to them, it's saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He takes that cup, he offers it to his disciples, and he says, this is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. This is the last celebration of the Passover in the mind of God. It is the institution of the Lord's Supper in the mind of God and also in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be frank about it, only Jesus knew what was about to take place at that time. He was the one that knew that the last sacrificial lamb was about to be offered up on Calvary's cross. And all those lambs that were out there being prepared, they would go through the ceremonial type thing. And you know what? They could do it for the next 70 years, which they would do it for the next 70 years, but it had no meaning and no purpose spiritually. They would just go through the motions. That's called religion. Religious tradition being handed down from one generation to another. Beloved, Jesus knew the last sacrificial lamb was about to be slain and be placed on that cross. And while they were there sharpening their knives and getting ready to do that, he knew what he was about to enter into, what was about to take place. He was the one that knew the Abrahamic covenant with its added Mosaic law was about to be fulfilled in himself. He knew that was about to take place. And that's why he said this is the new and everlasting covenant that's going to take place. He knew that the glorious presence of God was about to depart from the earthly tabernacle and enter back into the heavenly holies of holies, awaiting Him and His resurrection so that He could take His blood there and apply it. He was the only one, see, that knew all the significance. He knew all the meaning. He was the fulfillment of the type. He knew this was about to take place. He knew that the law with this Levitical priesthood was about to be abolished and a new order of priests was about to come into being. A royal priesthood and a royal family of people. He knew that. He was the only one that knew that the claims of justice that were being held against all mankind from the, from the time that Adam fell were about to be satisfied as he applied his blood and ratified the new and everlasting covenant. He was the only one that knew that the way back into the presence of God, the holies of holies, was about to be made manifest to all mankind and whosoever will. He was the only one that knew that the Father's dream of having his own family was about to become a reality. It was only a dream back when, but now it's about to become a reality. So he takes the bread and breaks it. He takes the cup and gives it. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood that's shed for the many for the remission of sins. He knew all the significance. He knew all the meaning. And now he also knew he was the lamb about to be roasted. I'd like to go into that, but I'm not going to do it this morning. The lamb that was about to be not boiled, not eaten raw, but roasted. Roasted. The time he spent suffering for the sins of the world, roasted, the roasted lamb. So Jesus knew all this, and that's why he was there drop sweating as, it, as if it were drops of blood falling down from his being, because he knew what he was going to enter into by experience as a result of man's high treason and sin. He knew all that. Nevertheless, he said, not my will be done, but thine will be done. Turn with me, if you would, please, to John's Gospel, chapter 6. And let's tie all this together as we listen to the words of Jesus. If the Exodus was the birth of a new nation, if the Passover was a celebration of their deliverance and their being raised from the, from the status of bondmen under the tyranny of Pharaoh in Egypt to people that are free and a new nation under God where their allegiance would be pledged to only God Almighty Himself where they would serve Him and do His will. If all that was a type, then what is the fulfillment of that type? If the only way it could be achieved was by their partaking of the, the flesh of the Lamb and also by the application of the blood upon the doorposts and, and lintels of, the, of their door of their household, 
if that was the only way they could be delivered from the death of the firstborn, then, beloved, how much more should we recognize there's only one way whereby we must be saved? In John's Gospel, chapter 6, and you'll notice, beginning at verse 51, I am the bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. They didn't understand the significance of it then. But now remember on that Passover night, remember what's happening. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Back then he said, unless you apply the blood and eat the flesh, you will not be free. Unless you apply the blood and eat the flesh, you will not have deliverance. You will not have strength. You will not have all that, the, the blessings and the provisions of the covenant. You will not enjoy and experience freedom and all these blessings. Unless you partake of the lamb, unless you apply the blood. Jesus tells them the same thing. The last lamb being sacrificed says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth of my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that, he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And Jesus taught this truth in a synagogue. He then, he then gave substance to that same truth on the day of the Passover feast. As he, part, as he made them partake, he says, You eat my bread, this is my body broken for you, and drink my blood, my life's blood was shed for you. You must apply the blood, you must eat of the bread, which is my body, if you want to have deliverance. Well, if the exodus out of Egyptian bondage meant deliverance from the tyranny of Pharaoh and the government of Egypt, beloved, then partaking of the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ means that we are totally delivered from the tyranny of Satan, the cohorts of darkness, the powers of sin, and spiritual death. Anyone who wants to be free from the bondage of sin, free from the bondage of sickness, free from the bondage of poverty, free from the bondage of tyranny of spiritual death, has got to partake of the body and of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that he must come and recognize all that the body and all that the blood of Jesus Christ stands for. And then he must apply it for himself. It is a personal deliverance. One lamb for every family. Every family member had to have the, the blood applied over them and also the lamb roasted in them if they were to experience their own personal deliverance. Well, Jesus, turn with me to First Peter while I'm saying this, chapter 2. Gave the conditions, and then Jesus carried out the purpose of God. Jesus, you know, as I do, well as I do, went to the cross of Calvary. And on that cross, now remember, these priests are sharpening their knives. These priests are ready to slit the throat of the lamb. They're ready to catch the blood in a basin. They're going to apply the blood. They're going to roast the lamb. They're going to have their feast, their celebration. And at that time, the Lamb of God is on the cross. At that time, the Lamb of God has His side pierced. His blood begins to flow to the earth, and His body is there lifeless on the cross. He enters into the regions of the damned for the salvation of all mankind, and there He suffers the penalty of man's high treason and sin. He is then raised up by the power of God. The Exodus, remember, Jesus' resurrection is a type of the Exodus, meaning deliverance from the tyranny of Satan. Deliverance from the tyranny of the powers of darkness. He is raised up out of that, that place, that region of the dam. He is delivered by the mighty hand of the Father God. He is resurrected, goes back into his body, takes his own blood, enters into the holies of holies. He then applies his blood. The blood had to be applied. Without the, the application of the blood, there's no remission of sin. The blood was applied on the heavenly utensils of worship. 
Jesus, His own blood, ratifies the new everlasting covenant. He obtains an eternal redemption for all mankind. The way back into the Father's presence is made manifest. And He comes back to the earth and says, Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell Peter. Tell my disciples. Let them know that man has been justified, that the Son of Man is alive. I am he that liveth and is dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. Redemption has been complete. Man is vindicated. Man is set free. And whosoever will, let him come and apply the blood to their own individual lives, and they too can be set free. He tells his disciples, preach the good news of the gospel to every creature. Beloved, if that gave birth to a new nation called the Israeli nation... What did Jesus give birth to? What did Jesus give birth to? He gave birth to a new creation. He gave birth to a new nation. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or a blood-washed people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past you were not a people. You were not a nation. You were not even a family of God, but, now are, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What that is saying, beloved, is that at, at that time, we were without God and without hope in the world. At that time, we were not a nation under God, but now God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, has given birth to not just the Israeli nation as they were delivered out of Egypt. He gave birth to a new species that never before existed. He gave birth to a new nation of people made up or comprised of Jews and Gentiles alike. It's called the church of the living God, the blood washed, the redeemed, that were purchased by the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, the Lamb whose blood without spot and without blemish, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is no longer under the tyranny of darkness. He is no longer a slave to sin. He is no longer under the dominion of spiritual death. He is no longer bound up by the forces of evil and all these terrible things that, that we face in this world, Egypt being a type of a sin-ruled and sin-filled world. He is no longer bound up by any of that. This supper, beloved, is a celebration. This, cel this celebration is a celebration of your new birth and regeneration. Every time, see, they did it once a year. Every time we partake of this celebration, it's like having a birthday party. It's like celebrating the fact that we've been born again. It serves as a, as a memorial because Jesus told Paul to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll close there, He told Paul to tell us this. In verse 23 of chapter 11, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take eat, this is My body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. It's the covenant meal. It is a memorial. It's reminding us that at one time we lived under the, the, the status or the condition of being slaves and under the power of a foreign tyranny. Satan himself governing our lives. Remember where you came from. You were in a sin-filled, sin-ruled world. Your life was a shambles. Your life was controlled by sin and its power. Your life was governed by spiritual death. My life was on its way to complete ruination. We were all ready to depart from this realm of life and enter into eternity without hope and without God, separated from Him forever and ever and ever. And there's only one way we can escape such a destiny. And the only way was through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, every time you partake of this celebration, you remember me. I gave my life for you so that you can be free from, the, from slavery and the bondage to sin. I gave my life for you so that you can be delivered from spiritual death 
and its end. I gave myself for you so that through my blood you can become a new nation, a new race, a new species, a new creation people so that you can be free and enjoy the fullness of the blessings. My body was broken for you and I suffered that horrible death for you so that you can have this freedom. He says, and he goes on, after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It is sealed not with the blood of bulls, not with the blood of goats, not with the blood of a sacrificial lamb, an earthly sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. My blood has been shed. It seals, it ratifies the new and everlasting covenant. I want you to be reminded of the fact that without my blood, you have nothing. Without my blood, you have no hope. Without my blood, you have no life in you. And you would be governed by spiritual death until finally you'd be cast into the lake of fire. But I want you to be reminded of the fact that because of my blood, because of the new and everlasting covenant, you have been delivered. You have been set free. You no longer have to suffer for the penalty of eternal damnation. You can enjoy and experience the wealth and riches of life everlasting. Heaven is your home. You're of the family of God. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a king. You are a priest. You're a royal nation and, and a holy people. You've been blood, bought with my blood. You've been purchased. You're now free to serve me and to do my will. He says, remember, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're going to show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread of the Lord and, and, and drink the cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not to drink the Lord's body, but for this cause, for many are weak, sickly, and die prematurely, or many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. But when we're judged, we're chasing the Lord, we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, beloved, you and I, we've judged ourselves. We are children of the Most High God. We know why His body was broken. We know why His blood was shed. We are one with Him. We've been brought out from that tyranny not to live for ourselves and do our own thing in life, but we've been brought out to serve Him and to do His will and pledge our allegiance to Him to be separate, sanctified, set apart, and dedicated to the purpose of God. We live for God on this earth. And beloved, if we'll remember that and know that we're in covenant with Him, and this is a celebration of our covenant relationship with God and also of our, our birthday, our spiritual birthday. You ready for this? This is more than a solemn occasion. This should be a type of shouting and rejoicing and thanking and praising God, just like Jesus did with His disciples that night when they celebrated the Passover supper, the Passover feast, the Passover meal. Thank God, no matter what we encounter in this life, beloved, because of this covenant, we are free. We're in bondage to nothing. We're a free nation. We're a free people. And that's what this is all about. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.